Jose Lores spent 88 days in a dark cave in 1965. A few hundred yards from her is a man by the name Anton Sini, who spent 126 days in a cave about 300 yards from Josie. Why would they do that? Well, NASA had decided to go to the moon. They were in a space race. And so they wanted to test the effects of darkness and solitude on some folks. And so they got a man and a woman, a woman, a woman, a woman to volunteer to spend 88 days for the woman and 126 days in a hole in the ground in the French Alps. That's ridiculous. <laughs> you imagine signing up for that one? You know, see that ad in the paper? Hey, you want to spend 88 days in a hole? No, thanks. I'm good. So they emerged, 1965. They were drawn up, and there's actual video footage you can watch of this of them going down and getting Josie out. They had to, it took four hours to get her out of the hole. That's how deep she was in the ground. And because of the darkness and the loneliness, each of them exhibited some very bizarre and some dangerous behaviors as a result, as you could probably imagine. Many of them, especially Anton, he would think he was taking a nap, but they were monitoring him from up top. He would think he was taking a nap, you know, 20, 30 minutes, an hour. He would sleep for 30 to 40 hours at a time. And he would just feel like he took a nap because he didn't have the sun to tell him when to get up and when to go to sleep. Not only that, they completely lost track of time. They thought they could not tell the difference between how long they were down there. So when they came out, they thought it was much later in the year than it actually was. Not only that, they began to hallucinate and have severe anxiety and their mental, mental performance declined significantly. Not only that, they were at such a desperate place for company that they tried to befriend the rats that lived in the cave with them. One of them smeared jelly on the bottom of their cave so that rats would come. And as Anton was trying to befriend this rat who didn't want to be friends with him, he tried to catch him and accidentally crushed the rat underneath the jar he was trying to catch him with. And he had a, almost had a breakdown from killing his only friend in this cave. These are bizarre and dangerous behaviors. If I walked into your house and you're smearing jelly on the floor to try to get the attention of a rat, you got problems. And if I was doing it, I got problems. The effects of darkness and loneliness are significant, and they have been touted and, and studied by psychologists and scientists alike. So it is no wonder that in Scripture, darkness is used as a metaphor. As a metaphor for lie, lies, for sin, and for evil. Darkness is used as a metaphor for all of those things, and light being the opposite of that. Light is seen as a metaphor for truth, holiness, and goodness. And in a verse that you know very well, 
John 3.16, you know this one. It's up at sporting events. You've heard it before. You, some of you can say it with rote memory. Some of you say it so fast the words kind of even come together and flow together, and you can't really differentiate what you're saying. You know John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Amen. But there's verses after that too. Verse 17, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. Verse 19, and this is the judgment that light has come into the world and the people love darkness rather than light because their works are evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his works should be exposed. But whoever does what is true comes to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that his works have been carried out in God. The darkness hates the light, and this world is a dark place. Our hearts are dark apart from the light of God in them. The world is a dark, dark, dark place. And because of that, some dark, messed up things happen, just like those people in the cave exhibited bizarre behaviors. Because of the darkness that controls these cosmos right now, there is some bizarre, weird, awful things going on. You don't believe me? Turn on the news. You don't believe me? Look what's happening in your family. Don't believe me? You look at somebody that you trusted, and they, don't, they, they, they have been in doing behavior that you can't trust, and you are just totally blindsided by it. Why? It's darkness. But we've seen that Jesus, in John chapter 9, which will be our major text for today, that he is the light of the world that casts out darkness. John chapter 9, verse 1, we have this significant thing. And last week we looked in John chapter 8 and we saw this. Continuing study of the I am statements of Jesus, we saw this. Jesus said he's the light of the world. As the light of the world, he fulfilled all the feast of the tabernacle imagery, which the idea of this, which was a celebration of the fact that, that the people of Israel were, lay, were led out of bondage into freedom by the cloud and the fire by night. You remember that story in the Old Testament? That God led them out, Exodus chapter 13, he led the people out of bondage through this great light. And Jesus is the fulfillment of that when he says, I'm the light of the world. It's in the context of that feast in which he says that. And then he says it again in John chapter 9. If you would read with me, John chapter 9, verse 1. And if you don't have a Bible, it will be on the screen here. As he passed by, he saw a man blind from birth. And his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Jesus answered, it was not that this man sinned or his parents, but that the works of God might be displayed in him. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. Having said these things, he sped on the ground and made mud with the saliva. Then he anointed the man's eyes with mud and said to him, go wash in the pool of Siloam, which means scent. So he went and he washed and he came back seeing. 
Seven verses right here in the beginning of John chapter 9, which display an odd situation. Part of it's not very odd. Part of it was pretty common. At that time, if you were blind or had some kind of physical infirmity, you didn't have Social Security, what you were based on, were, were people's, what your subsistence was based on was people's kindness. And so he would sleep, this, blind, this man blind from birth, I mean, he had never had seen light in darkness his whole life. He had to lay by the temple, and he had to beg. And he was waiting for, for good religious folks who came out of church feeling really good and really ready to, to do good things, and he would rely on them to give them some cash. And so he would beg. And Jesus saw this man, and he'd been blind from birth. Now, how we know that? He's only Jesus, okay? So we see the divine shining through here. The gospel writer understands this, and he says that. And disciples ask him a question. They said, God, who sinned? Why did this happen? And Jesus said, this is not because of sin. This is so that the works of, the works of God might be displayed in this man's life. And so what does he do? He does something very strange. Something that would actually, if an unclean, this is, go back to the book of Leviticus. If an unclean person were to spit on you, yes, that's in the Bible. I know that's weird, Okay. But if an unclean person, someone who is ceremonially unclean, has done something that makes them unclean in the book of Leviticus, and they were to spit on you, that would make you unclean. Spit, just like it is today, is not known for being good, okay? If, I, if someone asked me, hey, would you like someone to spit on you? I'd be like, no thanks, I'm good. As I was walking to church today, a bird went to the bathroom on me. I mean, I wasn't holding the bird. It was apparently flying in the heavens and shot down, rained down upon me. I, don't, I didn't want that to happen, and I don't want you to spit on me today, okay? Please don't. This is an odd thing. It's, un, it's, it's very common in the sense that this man, this is how he would have lived. His whole, his whole subsistence is based on the kindness of other people. And we know in a dark world, kindness is not on the top of everybody's priority list. And so he is there. His whole life is basically a shell, just trying to live. And Jesus spits on the ground. It's, it's akin to your mom licking her finger and getting that smudge off your face. Everyone hates that. I stopped my wife the other day because she was trying to do it to my son. I was like, no! No! Spit bad, Okay. <laughs> She'll love it. She's out of town, so I'll tell her later. Spits in the ground. He makes mud. You can tell he's really blind because if he wasn't, he'd be like, oh, Hoss, don't put that on my face. And he takes it, and he smears it on his eyes, and he says, go and wash. And he washes, and he can see. Just like the physical helps us understand the spiritual, Jesus is doing a physical healing to help us understand a spiritual reality, to declare why, he's the, why he is the light of the world. And he is showing, I, as the light of the world, not only do I fulfill, not only am I God, I'm the fulfillment of, of God in the, in the Old Testament, I am, I am the pillar of fire, the light that leads you out of bondage and into freedom, out of the bondage to sin and into the freedom of knowing God. 
I am also the one who cures spiritual blindness. I give sight to the blind, not just physically, but also spiritually. Jesus, as the light of the world, he cures spiritual blindness and he illuminates spiritual darkness. Think about this. If the lights were to go out in here, which I hope they don't, which is always a possibility here, but if the lights were to go out and one of you had your cell phone out and you put on your light and it turned on, do you know what would happen to the darkness? It would flee from that light, dissipate. Darkness has no power over the true light. And Jesus says, I am the light of the world. He's in a, speaking into an impossible situation of a man who has never seen light a day in his life. And, and the man doesn't even ask to be healed. Notice that in the text. And what does he do? He says, you can see, brother. The mercy and grace of God comes to people in darkness and makes darkness light. And that is Jesus, and it's not in the physical realm, it's pointing us to the spiritual healing that we all need. All are lost in darkness of sin, all need the light of Christ and his redeeming work to be saved. There is no other way, there's no good works, there's only Christ and Christ alone. And he speaks into this man's life, and in doing so, he brings light into the disciples' lives, into this man's life, and he even brings light into the Pharisees' life. And today, I hope that we, as we look at Jesus in the light of the world, that you need to see that your, light needs to be, your life needs to be illuminated no matter where you are. First off, the message is for the disciples. Disciples are illuminated about their understanding of suffering. If you look in, in John 9, we see this. And as he passed by, a man, as he passed by, they saw the man blind from birth. In verse 2, the disciples asked this question. This question was the common religious thought of the day. It represents that. Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? There, in, in this particular time, they believed that, that all of sin was a direct result of all of illness and infirmity and difficulty was the, the direct result of a one-for-one -one correlation to sin. Now, we do know that, that we can be disciplined or even be punished, not a believer, but someone outside be punished because of their sin. We see in John chapter 5 uh, the same thing. The, the man's infirmity was based upon his sin. We also know this. That is not always the case. And it's not usually our job to play detective. So I know some of you like to play detective, especially when someone's telling you their problems. You want to get, you want to play a little uh, Dr. Phil. You know what I mean? Tell you what, you got to get off the couch and go running. I mean, whatever Dr. Phil says, you know, whatever kind of colloquialism. You want to listen to that person's problem, and you want to diagnose, and you want to give them the solution. Most of the time, just just is free. Most of the time, it's more complicated than you think. Secondly, here we see this man's situation is not caused by direct sin. And he is, he is illuminating the disciples' understanding of, of humanity and, and suffering. And so what does he do as the light of the world? He illuminates. He continually illuminates his people to understand truth. And so what we see here in verse 3, Jesus answered him, it was not that this man sinned or his parents but that the works of God might be displayed in him. You've probably thought that way before, like the disciples did. When you see something bad happen to someone you don't care for, you're like, mm-hmm, that's right. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. It's funny, though. We never turn that around on us, right? 
when something bad happens, they go, this is the judgment of God because I'm sinning. We go, why, God? You know what it shows? Hypocrisy in our own hearts and the darkness. You see something here. This man's blindness was not a result of sin directly. It was not because he had sinned and, and had deserved being born blind. And it's not that his parents had sinned that deserved him being born blind. Why was he born blind? Verse 3, it was so that the works of God might be displayed in him. Wow. Wow. We are choking on our narcissism. We really are. Because we think our world is completely about us. And we wonder why things don't work out the way they do. But I want you to know something, and this is a great freeing thing. The world does not revolve around you. It's really liberating. Your story is not the grand narrative of the world. Jesus' story is. And so why is he born blind so that God's glory and power and might and holiness and light might be seen in this man. So why do bad things happen? Sometimes we know if we go back to John 5, it can be a direct result of sin, and God could be trying to get your attention. God could be, as, in a, as if you're a believer, it's discipline of the Lord. He's trying to lead you back to repentance. We know that. It could be the punishment of God. It could be God trying to wake you up out of your slumber and sin. It could exactly be it, but it could be. And usually these things are not mutually exclusive. It could be that God is just about to display his glory and power in your life, however messed up it is, by showing his power and truth and holiness in it. I want you to just get that. Because a lot of us walk around with, with Eeyore faces. Not that the things we're going through are not bad. Thank you. Somebody knew who Eeyore was, okay? If you don't, watch Winnie the Pooh, okay? I can't believe I recommended that. <laughs> but you think about it. It's, oh, why did this happen to me? Get over yourself. The world doesn't spin around you. And here's the beauty of this. When you realize that the world is all about him, it's amazing how your life gets righted. Not that, this, not that the struggle ends. Not that the pain ends. No, but you know everything, everything that comes your way is from a good God for good purposes for his. A debilitating thing like blindness, which I can't even imagine how that would be can be resound to the glory of God. Your, the disease you have, the health difficulty, the parental difficulty, the family difficulty, the job difficulty, financial difficulty, if you understand that all of it is for the glory and renown of God and to show his power and glory in everything, it changes because it's no longer about you, it's about him, and you're waiting to see this great adventure that what he's going to do in your life. And that is what happens here. We see the disciples, they are corrected. They're saying, who sinned? No, man, you're missing it. This man is blind so that I can show my glory. And then he goes on, and he says in verse 4, he says, we must work the works of him who sent me while it's day. 
Night is coming when no one can work. Now, I want you to notice something odd in verse 4. We must work the works of him who sent me while it is day. Night is coming when no one can work. As long as I am in the world, I am the light of the world. So we got, a, we got him going from a plural to a singular. We have him saying we and then I. Here's the great thing. Jesus is doing the work, but he calls his disciples to join him. And he even says we. That is crazy that we work with Jesus. <laughs> That's just wild. Does he need us? No, but it's his ordained plan to use us. And he's saying, while, it's, while there's daylight, and what he's talking about is there's night coming. He's talking about the crucifixion, which is there. He's, while I'm still on the earth physically, there's a lot of things to do. The night's coming. We must get to it. And he says, as long as I'm in the world, I am the light of the world. I am the one who illuminates. And right now, what he is doing, he is illuminating for the disciples their understanding. He's, he's reaching them at their point of understanding. Their point of understanding sin and suffering in the world is this. You do bad, you get hurt. You do bad, you get punished. You do good, you get good things. So obviously if something bad happened to you, it's because you did something bad. If something good happened to you, it's because you did something good. That is karma, and that is not biblical. It's like a big thing now. All the pop stars are talking about, again, get karma, karma. Dude, if you got karma, it's bad news because you're all going to hell. Me too. Karma is an awful idea. It's not a biblical idea. It's really not. An eye for an eye is, okay? Okay, you reap what you sow is, but I want you to know something. There's, good, there's this idea called grace that permeates the New Testament, and it means you get what you don't deserve, and that is the grace of God. So if you want to go by karma standard, you're going to split hell wide open. Like my Judson says this to me, and I'm fully expecting a parent-teacher conference about this. My son Judson, he comes up to me, and he said, that's not, he got in this phase where he'd say, that's not fair. I look at him, I'd say, hell's fair, boy. You don't want, he- you don't want hell, you want grace. He's like, dang, Dad. <laughs> I just didn't think it was fair. They got an ice cream, and I didn't. Hell's fair, son. Get what you deserve. <laughs> parent-teacher conference is waiting. <laughs> it's going to happen. But it's so true. These men need to have their, their, their hearts and minds continually enlightened by Jesus as the light of the world. And I want you to know something. No matter how old you are, no matter how long you've been following Christ, no matter where you are in your understanding of the Bible, you need to be in this place where you need to constantly be illuminated by the Word of God, and you need to not be like the Pharisees who had no room in their heart for Jesus as we looked at in John chapter 8, but those who are really willing and ready to have their lives changed by Him day by day and to repent of sin. Now, as we get older, we don't like to repent even more and more. How many times have you said this? Well, that's just the way I am. Hmm. I want you to just know something. That is not ever okay when it comes to following Jesus. Like, ever. It's not okay. It's not okay, so that's just the way I am. It's also, we try to whitewash it when we do sin. I may have lost my temper. No, you probably called that person a fool in your heart. You committed murder in your heart. You need to go tell that somebody and repent of it, okay? Thankfully, I have a wife who tells me when I need to repent all the time. I'm driving in traffic on Labor Day weekend on Friday. We're going down to Chattanooga, and I'm like, 
border, I'm, in my heart I'm cussing, in my mouth I'm not, I, at, the, at the people who are at the gas station who do not know how to operate gas pumps. I was like, put your card in there. Put the thing in the gas. Go! Okay? Go! I know you're just surprised that I would do that, okay? You just don't know me very well. And Judson goes, yeah, that guy's real stupid. And Amy looks at me and she's like, mm-hmm. <laughs> Good job. And so I like, I gave it to her. So yeah, you thought you think pastor immediately repent, right? Nope. Twenty minutes down the road, she bought these stinking dill pickle chips and open. It was like a, it's like burnt hair in the car. Okay, like if you doused burnt hair in vinegar, that's what these chips smell like. So I'm angry that she bought these chips. <laughs> Smells hitting me. I am in a foul mood. Got into traffic. And then I give one of those token apologies about 15 minutes down the road because it's just awkward in my car, okay? And I was like, I'm sorry that I did that, but you did this. You know how well that worked, right? And what happened? About 20, 30 minutes later, repentance had to come out. And I had to tell my son, that's really hard. Tell your five-year-old that you sinned and that you need his forgiveness, you need God's forgiveness, and then also do that in front of, with, with, with your wife right there, is a pride-killing thing. I want you to know something. So many churches get in a bad place because they never call sin, sin. And, they, and because of that, they never, people never truly repent of sins and come to know the light. And Jesus is constantly, if you look in the scriptures, constantly tweaking and moving his disciples from where they are to greater places. He is making them more like him. He's making them more followers. And I want you to get this. Part of the, being the light of the world is he illuminates his people to be more and more like him. He shines a light in the dark places. If you are not continually growing in your understanding of God, you might be showing a failing and even counterfeit. As the light of the world, he continually illuminates with truth and makes us repent of that, turn from it. And that is what he does here with the disciples. Now, I know you're thinking, this is the whole chapter. Homeboy is just on the first seven verses. It's going to go quicker, okay? So here's what I want you to see. Not only that, but the man born blind has, he's continually healed of his spiritual sight over time. If you would, remember, he's the spit, the washing, and then, so he believes Jesus on a, on a cursory level. Down, go down to verse 8, and we're going to fly through this. So get a digit, put it right there on chapter 9, verse 8, and it says this, and the neighbors and those who had seen him before as a beggar were saying, is this not the man who used to sit and beg? And some said, it's he. And others said, but he is, he is like him. And he kept saying, I'm the man. So there is this great thing in John's gospel where some people are going, is that the guy? Other people are going, that's the guy. Other people are going, that can't be the guy. It just looks like the guy. And the guy's going, I'm the guy. I was blind. That's actually, it's funny if you read what it's like. And so in verse 10, so they said to him, then how are your eyes opened? He answered, the man called Jesus, you know, he knows him as the man called Jesus at this point. He listened to him with the mud on his eyes. At that point, he's like, what do I got to lose? Okay? He believed to a certain extent, and he walked away. Now he says, there's a man called Jesus. Notice that. Then he said, uh, and he answered, the man called Jesus made mud, anointed my eyes, and said to him, go to Siloam and wash. So I went and washed and received my sight. And they said to him, where is he? And he said, I don't know. This is a great, <laughs> it's so great. And then verse 13, so they brought to the Pharisees the man who had formerly been blind. Verse 14, now it was on the Sabbath day 
this is going to be important, when Jesus made the mud and opened his eyes. So the Pharisees again asked him how he had received his sight. And he said to them, he put mud on my eyes and washed, and I see. The guy's getting, he's repeating himself, right? And we see in verse 16, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God, for he does not keep the Sabbath. But others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? So he did something on the Sabbath. We don't like that, but he's doing these signs. How? So there's disagreement even among the Pharisees, and it goes on. And there was a division among them. Some are saying this about Jesus. Some are saying that about Jesus. And if you go anywhere today, there is still division about him. But the light illuminates to show us who he truly is. Going on, verse 17, and they said again to the blind man, what do you say about him since he has opened your eyes? And he said, he's a prophet. So he said, he's the man called Jesus, and now he's a prophet. He's from God, and he's, and he's speaking the words of God. Now look in verse 18, and the Jews did not believe that he had been blind and had received his sight. This has got to be a hoax. So what do they do? <laughs> it's like schoolyard. Get his parents. They literally do that. And they go on until, in verse 18, until they called the parents of the man who had received his sight. And they asked him, is this your son who, who you say was born blind? How then does he now see? And his parents answered, we know that this is our son and that he was born blind. Good, his parents claimed him. That's awesome. Verse 21, but how he now sees, we don't know. Nor do we know who opened his eyes. Ask him. He's of age. He'll speak for himself. He's a grown man. Don't ask us. And here's the reason they're being so, so elusive with their answer. Verse 22, his parents said these things because they feared the Jews. For the Jews had already agreed that if anyone would confess Jesus to be the Christ, he was to be put out of the synagogue. Here, see this. You see this man constantly being interrogated and questioned by these people who, quote, unquote, are the Bible people the Old Testament people, the Jews, this man's testifying of Christ, they don't believe and they are trying to silence and bully and interrogate anyone who would say he was the Christ. They had already made up their mind and they are in love with the darkness. And we go on in verse 23, therefore his parents said, he's of age, ask him. I don't want any part of this getting kicked out of church, getting kicked out of the synagogue. So verse 24, you with me out there? We're reading a lot. You hang in there. Verse 24, so for the second time they called the man who had been blind and said to him, give glory to God. We know that this man is a sinner. He's like, I've already been giving glory to God. And so we get verse 25, he answered, whether he is a sinner, I do not know. One thing I do know, that though I was blind, now I can see. They said to him, what did he do to you? How did he open your eyes? He answered them, I have told you already. Why do you want to hear it again? Do you want to come his, his disciples? Sarcasm in the Bible, fantastic. You guys want to hear it again? You want to follow Jesus? He knows the answer. Verse 28, and they reviled him saying, you are his disciples, follower, but we are the disciples of Moses. We know that God has spoken to Moses, but as for this man, we don't know where he comes from. Verse 30, the man answered, why, this is an amazing thing. You do not know where he comes from, and yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, God listens to him. Never since the world began has it been heard that anyone opened his eyes of the man born blind. If this man were not from God, he could do nothing. They answered him, you were born in utter sin, and you would teach us? And they cast him out. He has a great argument, and the argument's this. He did something that no one else has done, ever. 
open the eyes of a man born blind. And only God listens to people who do that. And only God can do that. He only listens to people who aren't sinners. So I mean, let me tell you something. You're calling him a sinner. He does these things. Who's right? He's got to be from God. And what do they do? They bully and intimidate because they are walking in darkness, and they cast him out, and they're angry. And here's Jesus' approaches in verse 35. And Jesus heard that they had cast him out. And having found him, he said, Do you believe in the Son of Man? And he answered, And who is he, sir, that I may believe in him? And you're asking, how does he not know? He was blind before. That's why he didn't know. And what happens? Further illumination. Jesus said to him, You have seen him, and it is he who is speaking to you. And he said, Lord, I believe. And he worshiped him. There is a healing of spiritual sight that many need. And there's a one-time healing that is a regeneration that you once were cold to the things of God, and now you see clearly who Jesus is. And you don't just see it with your mind, you see it with your heart, and everything about you has changed. We've heard testimony to that from Bill today of a heart change that occurs, a spiritual blindness being lifted. If you come to Christ, it's only because he has enlightened your eyes and he's made you alive. But he begins a process, not that you know everything that you need to know, but he continually, continually illuminates and enlightens you as you see his word. That is what the light of the world does. But the light of the world is also blinding to those who are in the, who love the darkness rather than the light. There was a recent article that came out, and it was appointed. It was by an NBC affiliate in Columbus, Ohio. It's from a nurse practitioner who noted that after the solar eclipse, you familiar with the solar eclipse? What, to view the solar eclipse, what did you need? Those glasses from NASA that blocked out all the UV rays so you could see that, or you needed some kind of pinhole device to watch the eclipse. If you didn't have that, you could cause severe burns and damage to your eyes that would be irreparable. Apparently, there were some geniuses out there, and quite a few of them to make the news, who thought, you know what, if I just put sunscreen in my eye, it'll be fine. So this nurse practitioner, this is a true article, this is reported by the NBC Channel 4 in Columbus, Ohio. This nurse practitioner had to send several people to ophthalmologists because they had put so much sunscreen in their eye to try to view the eclipse. Can't make that up, folks. <laughs> Jesus is the light of the world. He speaks to his disciples. He speaks to the man born blind. He brings light of faith, and he also brings a continual renewal of faith and, a, and, a, and of, of growing us in Christ, and that has to be a hallmark of us, a continual illumination to the truth and to holiness. But also, the light makes those who think they see blind. Just like staring at the sun is a bad idea, and at the eclipse, the, the geniuses with the sunscreen in their eyes, they thought they were protecting what happened. They were blinded by the light. And that's exactly what we have here. Jesus said, verse, Jesus said in verse 39, For judgment I came into the world, that those who do not see may see, and those who see may become blind. 
I've come to those who know that they know their spiritual darkness and know that they don't know, have all the answers. I've come so they might be able to see. But those who think they see, who think that they have all of the answers, like the Pharisees and the Jews, that they think that they know God and don't really, they know the scriptures, but their hearts are far from him. I've come to make them blind. I've come to, the light shines so bright, it blinds those who love the darkness. And then it goes on in verse 40. Some of the Pharisees near him heard these things and said to him, are we also blind? They get it. They're playing dumb. They get he's talking about them. They've been in combat for a while. Verse 41, Jesus said to them, if you were blind, you would have no guilt. Which means if you knew you were blind, I can make you enlightened and take away your guilt and sin and shame make you see truth but you but now you say and he said to them, if you were blind you would have no guilt but now that you say we see your guilt remains i want to be very clear about this failure to see they failed to see the beauty of jesus right in front of them many people especially in the bible belt they believe in the facts about christ but they do not have a heart for the gospel of jesus and i want you to know something you don't believe if it does not affect your heart and change your emotions and your affections. You don't. I know the story. I heard it. Yeah, Jesus saves it. Unless you love it, unless you love him, unless you embrace the light of the world and let him attack your darkness. I want you to know this really quick. You don't really believe. You don't. But I was a member of this church. Big whoop. But I went to church every day as a kid. Again, big whoop. But I got a Bible. Awesome. I cried at War Room. Great. I listened to Beth Moore's podcast. Fantastic. You should, but you need to know the Jesus that Beth Moore knows. Get this. These people know the Bible, but they don't know Jesus. They know the Old Testament, but they fail to see the Messiah that the Old Testament was pointing to. He is, their eyes are blinded because they love the darkness rather than the light. Failure to see Jesus as beautiful is unbelief. Not only that, because they failed to see Jesus as beautiful, they hated Jesus and had no room for his teachings. They, and they hated his followers just like it. And you see them. They're using intimidation, and they're casting people out, and they're hurting people, and eventually they will kill him. They don't even know that their very killing of him is playing right into God's hands so that God would get all the glory and the death of Christ, that all might look to him and live. I want you to hear this really loud and clear. Do not, do not think that you can continually spurn the word of God and come to him anytime you want to. Because there's a hardness that sets in a callousness, a blindness that continues when you look at the light. And if you think you can see, it's blinding. I played guitar for a long time. And part of that is you develop calluses on your fingers. I don't play as much as I used to, but I do play some. And when you get the calluses, what that is, is just repeated pressure. And against that, the, the steel strings or whatever, type of string you have, you build up a thick layer of skin in which the first time you play, your fingers feel like they're about to be on fire, and it doesn't, it doesn't subside for about six months to a year. I mean, it's just, it's awful, and you're just like walking around with a crimped hand, okay? And your fingers are red and bloodshot all the time, and then a callus develops, 
And I will never forget one time I really freaked my wife out because she had a safety pin sitting in a drawer, and I reached my hand in to grab something really quick. And I'm always in a hurry. You, if you've ever met me, I mean, I was always like, go, oh, go. I mean, just, Loo! so I was getting something in a hurry out the door, and I put my hand in the drawer, and I pulled it out, and, and he goes, Matt, and I had a safety pin about the eighth of the way in into my middle finger. And I was like, oh, I didn't notice it or feel it. Do you know why? Because of the callus. It's the same thing that happens when you're exposed to the light, but you keep turning away in unbelief. Your heart gets a callus, and the calluses build up, and they build up, and it's harder and harder to be sensitive to the things of God, and it's harder and harder, and so I want to call every one of us in this situation to this. If you hear his voice today, don't harden your hearts like the people did in the wilderness. Believe. Repent of the sin that you're in. This goes, this goes for those who aren't believers, and it goes to believers. It becomes more, it becomes dip, more and more difficult to obey him every moment that you hear the word and you say, yeah, I'll do that later. It really does. It's a part of life. And so here, let the light of the world shine his light in all of your dark places so that you might be conformed to his image and take a warning from the Pharisees who thought they could see, but their hearts were far from him. And as we do, as we've been doing in this series, the way we will respond is through communion. If you're in this place, in September the 24th, we're going to have a baptismal service. If you're in this place that God has convicted your heart of sin and you want to follow him in believer's baptism, come speak to an elder. We're going to be baptizing folks on September the 24th, and that is the next step of obedience. Having repented of your sins and believed, baptism is the next step. Come talk to an elder afterwards. If you're struggling with sin, grab a brother or sister, Christ, have them pray with you. Or you can come and talk to an elder, put it on a comment card, a passport card, and we'd love to talk to you. But for right now, here's what we're going to do. We're going to invite the communion team and the musicians to come forward, and we're going to take communion together like we do every Sunday. But as we pass out the elements, I want you to think particularly of Jesus as the light of the world and which way his truth is shining in your life and what you need to do, what area of your life you need to repent and turn, what area do you need to let him shine the light on. The psalmist said, search me and try me, O God, know my heart. See if there's any wicked way within me. That's our prayer as we think about this. And in a few moments, we'll take communion together. On the night that Jesus was betrayed, he took bread, and when he had broken it, he said, this is my body, broken for you, take and eat. In like manner, he took the cup after supper. He said, this is the new covenant in my blood. Take and drink. As often as we do this, we declare the Lord's death until he comes. God, we thank you for today. We thank you for this time. And we ask that you'd help us apply scripture to our heart. In Jesus' name, amen.